Welcome to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with innovators, challenging the status quo to create a better world. You're listening to Season 1, our series on space as a service. I'm your host, Caleb Parker. That's at Caleb underscore Parker on Twitter and Instagram. And this season, I'll be chatting with executives creating the future of commercial real estate. If you're a landlord, if you're an asset owner, if you're an agent, if you're in corporate real estate, you need to be listening because we're answering all the questions you need to know about space as a service. Welcome back. This is the Work Bold Podcast, and I'm your host, Caleb Parker. And today we're in London, and we're talking with Elaine Russell, who is the head of UK Offices Research and Strategy, formerly with Cushman and Wakefield. Hi, nice to see you. Thanks for ha- thanks for coming in, Elaine. Really pleasure, appreciate it. Pleasure. So just before the mics uh, came on, uh, we were talking about flexible working and the future of work. And I understand you guys at JLL are looking to consolidate your offices from three buildings here in London to one. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, we've got an office in the city, one in the West End and one in Canary Wharf. So the plan is that we bring everybody under one roof so we can start to implement kind of flexible working, agile working and create a better work uh, environment for everybody, really. Well, that is a, a, a trend these days. A Absolutely. lot of companies are doing that. I know back in my DC days, um, I was talking with PwC and in Atlanta at the time, they had three floors in a building. They consolidated the one floor and they told everybody, unless you had meetings, you had to go work from home. Uh, and, and, and if you're coming in for meetings, you got, you've got to book it. You can book a desk, hoteling, et cetera. Yeah, 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 is that what yeah. you're doing? Um, yeah, I mean, it's still early days. We actually haven't found a building yet. Um, but I think that's what the, the, the idea is. You know, we'll consolidate into a smaller footprint. And that, as you say, is something that occupiers are doing generally. Um, and it's about changing the way that we all work to create a better working environment for everybody. So we'll move away from everyone having fixed desks to obviously hot desking, agile working, encouraging greater flexibility. Um, and I think that's one thing I've noticed since being at JLL, um, the kind of focus on flexibility generally in how people work, um, encouraging people perhaps to work from home more often than perhaps where I was before. Um, people only working four days a week. Um, so encouraging people to have that better work life balance. So when we move into a new office, obviously that will just manifest and um, accelerate those trends that we're already seeing today. So I want to I want to dive into that. You said working four days a week, um, and is that something that you're going that JLL is going to implement when you move into this new building, or is that what's happening now? It's happening now. So it's quite interesting that um, so I've only been there about eighteen months or so, but definitely one thing that I've noticed is that there's a, definitely a, a, a greater culture around or flexibility in the working environment. So people from uh, all departments, different levels of seniority um, are working more flexibly. And they say that there is a lot of people who only work four days a week. Um, so it's kind of, an, kind of encouraged um, generally across the board, really. Um, I'm a big fan of flexible working myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I operate on a, on a 30-30-30 rule. Um, which I know that does not mm-hmm. add up to 100, no, no, but, but I'll explain <laughs> that. <laughs> the 30, 30% of the time I'm in the office, 30% of the time I'm in meetings somewhere, mm-hmm. and the other 30% of the time I'm working for home. The other 10% flexes one of those directions mm-hmm. or the other, depending on the week. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm a big advocate of that. But it, from, from your perspective and from JLL's perspective, uh, is that driven by recruiting and attracting the right talent for JLL? Or is that because you want to understand what your clients are going through and be able to help manage their real estate? That's a good question. I suspect it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, one of the big drivers for any company these days is attracting and retaining talent. You know, we're at you know, full employment in the UK. Um, so that's a really key driver. And that's been, you know, that as a driver has been around for quite some time. 
Um, and, you know, and that's also why we're seeing this kind of cultural shift in how we work, particularly around that, the office space generally. Um, but yes, as a, as an JLR, as an advisor to our clients, we have to be practicing what we're preaching. Um, and I think perhaps for quite a long time, the property industry have advised clients and not necessarily committed to doing it themselves. So I think we're starting to do that now. So we're, you know, we're practicing, um, or putting into practice some of the behaviors that, that we know we're seeing with our clients as well. So we can, yeah, so we can, we experience, we know the pitfalls, we know the challenges, um, so that we can advise our clients better, really. When it comes to, um, attracting the right talent and, and using flexible working mm -hmm. as, as that amenity or that tool to, yeah, att yeah. to attract the right talent, just speaking in practical terms, what, what does that do? I mean, wh what is the benefit of letting someone choose their own working schedule versus, um, you know, having them come into the office every day on a, on a fixed schedule? I think the, the main factor is, is about productivity. It's allowing people to feel that they're empowered in, on their, you know, in terms of their own working life. Um, it moves away from that presenteeism, which, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you had to be in the office from, it wasn't even from nine till five. You had to be in early, you had to leave late and feel that you're in the office to be productive. I think there's a recognition that you don't need to do that now. Uh, obviously, techno technology is that great enabler of, of that. Sure. Um, so I think it's about making people feel more responsible for what they're doing. And I think when people do feel that, then they work, actually do work harder and they feel more engaged with what they're doing um, and probably have a, a better relationship with the company that they're working for as well. Well, Anthony Slumbers is, is uh, quite famous for saying mm -hmm. that uh, people don't want an office. Companies don't want, need an office anymore. They need a productive workforce. Um, so I think if flexible working enables people to feel empowered and ultimately more productive, yeah. then that yeah. is the goal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but how does, how does this affect landlords? Because if people like you, you guys go from three offices to, to consolidating down to one, um, presumably that leaves a lot of vacant space out there. In theory, yes. I mean, I think the interest of what, what the central London leasing market at the moment is is going through a period of very low supply. So actually, there isn't. Actually, if that were to happen, it would be great because it needs to inject um, some supply into the market anyway. Well, you did say you're still looking for a building. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's not a lot of choice. We haven't seen a lot of um, uh, construction activity generally, particularly since the referendum in 2016. Um, and a lot of, because we're in the low supply environment, what you're seeing a lot of is companies pre-letting space. So even though you, you probably, you know, we look out the window, we can see a lot of cranes. About half of what is under construction at the moment is already pre-let. So it's committed to, an, or an occupier has committed to that space already. Um, so actually by companies moving, actually that starts to free up other, the kind of more obsolete space. Because actually that space probably, if they're moving out, is obsolete. It's probably not very efficient. Um, so it creates opportunities for the developers or the landlords to create a new product further down the line. So it's just kind of that kind of um, conveyor belt, I suppose, of, of development, um, which allows the office stock in central London to kind of catch up or to, to, to be more appropriate to the way that, that companies are working today. Um, so it's not necessarily a bad thing. Sure. That's actually a great segue because, um, so actually, let me start for it. So uh, Elaine and I, um, uh, well, I think we met before, but mm -hmm. I know this past, last summer, yeah, um, last we, summer. we were at the same, uh, we were on the same conference. I was moderating the co-working London conference and you were on a panel. You were talking about a lot of statistics around mm -hmm. the growth of flex space, the growth of space as a service. So when we talk about shuffling up this, this, um, uh, from the obsolete space and developing new products, we've seen a lot of statistics, um, about the 
size of space as a service being six percent of the overall office stock is going to grow to thirty percent. Yeah. Um, is that what you see when when these obsolete spaces go away and get repositioned? It will turn into space as a service, or what? Are, what are your thoughts on that? What you're seeing, I think, is the way that occupiers are using their space. They're looking for greater flexibility in how they use their space, but also in terms of their lease terms as well. So occupiers are looking for flexibility generally. They're also looking for that amenity space, which we talked about, to create an, um, an environment where people want to work. But what they're really looking for, they're looking for their landlords to provide that. Uh-huh. So what you are seeing is a lot of landlords now thinking about actually they should be incorporating some flexibility within their building, whether that's... Um, a direct lease to a, a kind of flexible workplace provider where they should be providing their own uh, flexible space within their building. Um, so it's almost becoming a mo- most new developments, uh, particularly if they're going to be multi-let, will be looking to have that flexibility or that kind of space within, the, a, asset. within the asset as well. So I think that's, what, that's how you're starting to see that's where the growth of the sector is coming from because it's no longer just um, something a landlord would do for the, the tail end of a lease or just to refurbish a bit of secondhand space or whatever. Um, they're now looking at it as a, a strategy for when they re- start to develop and they have a new building as well. Well, I think on that note, um, a lot of just a few years ago, landlords were happy to sign up. We work at mm-hmm. above market rates and for, you know, 15, 20 year leases. Mm-hmm. And now with all the news today, uh, it's, it, uh, uh, well, it's clear that WeWork has is, is shown the industry that the demand for that type of experience and flexibility yeah. is there, but skepticism from landlords mm-hmm. because of the negative news around WeWork. Yeah. What's your view on that? Um, I think, you know, I mean, whatever the, 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 the whys and wherefores of, of what's happened to WeWork, I think they've disrupted the market. They've come in at scale very rapidly. So they've changed the way that the, the property industry thinks about the serviced office sector, co-working sector, whatever you wanted to call it, um, generally. We call it space as a service. Space as a service. <laughs> I know, but, uh, but it's, you know, it, it can be, that's, I think that's one of the issues. What's the definition of, you know, how do people refer to it? Of course. Um, but when we work into the market, it's probably still referred to as serviced offices. So they've, they've changed the, the perception um, of that whole flexibility, that piece, that space as a service. Um, there are obviously some people who are always slightly nervous about the scale of growth. So as you say, those who are skeptical probably are slightly more skeptical. Um, but actually, it's just made the real estate industry as a whole sit up and take notice of that of the sector generally. And I think that you've got to remember it's more than just about WeWork. I mean, we when we look across um, the, the sector as a whole for across the UK, and I think we've identified 350 to 400 individual operators. So that just shows, you know, there's a huge number of, of of um, operators out there providing different business models, different spaces to cater for a whole range of companies. So I think landlords have to remember that it's more than just one brand. It's, it's like the hotel industry. You know, yeah. everybody thinks of the big three, Hilton, Marriott, and, and Intercontinental mm-hmm. Hotel Group, Holiday Inns, but there's loads of independents out there as well. Yeah. And not, you know, p- people like to go and have that kind of, you know, the, the level of service you get from different types of um, hotels is exactly the same in, in kind of flexible working as well in spaces of service because you've got your boutique operators who perhaps cater for niche uh, sectors. Then you've got the bigger operators who cater for everybody. So, you know, it's, it's for, for, I think for a landlord as well, it's about identifying those operators who fit with the brand of either the, the landlord or fit with the brand of their building or the, the perception of, of what they're trying to create uh, within a building. Um, so it's about understanding who's out there in the market and, and uh, what they're offering, really. I think it's really important for landlords. 
And do you, do you see us going around these, these operators? Do you, do you see us moving from leases to more profit sharing or management agreements? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we've seen, you know, the rise of the sector probably over the last five years or so. And most landlords, when they went into it, as you say, as you were saying before, would have gone in just a straight lease to a, to an operator. But actually, as, as the sector's matured and has gained critical mass, then landlords are getting a better understanding of how the, the, the sector is working, um, are really looking at actually what, how can they enter the sector um, and how can they gain some of that financial benefit, um, but also get engaged more closely, I suppose, with their own customers. So I would say probably over the last 12, 18 months, we have definitely seen more inquiries coming in from landlords, um, looking to JLL and others probably for advice in terms of how should they uh, enter that sector? How should they create flexibility within their own portfolio? Um, you know, it's not just London landlords, we're seeing it from landlords in some of those big six. Uh, so for those that don't know, I'll repeat, um, Birmingham, Bristol, Leeds, Manchester, Edinburgh, Glasgow, that's what we call the, the kind of the next tier down. We've got landlords um, in those markets, again, looking at actually how can they add to that um, flexibility into their market? Should they be going to do a JV? Should they try and do it on their own, white label, etc.? But I think for most, because they don't necessarily have critical mass in terms of their portfolio, then a, a JV partnership is probably the way forward. So, Elaine, what, what are, is JLO, how are you advising your landlord clients how to respond to the demand for flex? Um, I think it's about, we obviously work with occupiers and landlords, so we're working with our occupiers to understand how they can bring flexibility into their portfolios. And by understanding what the occupiers are doing means that we can advise landlords to a greater extent. Um, We've brought in um, a, a team who have worked in the, in the space of the service industry as well. Um, so we're effectively kind of advising clients from beginning of the journey right through to the end. Um, and it's and again back to what I was kind of saying, but it's about understanding the individual asset. It's understanding how the asset fits in with the portfolio. So it's it's kind of taking JLL's whole um, holistic view of the market. Um, and our understanding of the sector, you know, we are in that space, but not necessarily in the same way as maybe some of our competitors are, and, and providing that independent advice um, to those landlords. So it sounds like you're being a broker. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's what we do. <laughs> but yeah, it's we're, we're look, you know you're seeing definitely a lot more kind of consult, um, consultancy in, in that side sure, of the market. Sure, of course. But I mean, it's, it certainly um, makes sense for you to do that, mm -hmm. and I think it's when you have that insight into the occupier, into the client side, mm -hmm. the customer side, the end users, then yeah. you know, the landlords yeah. kind of want to know. Yeah, exactly. And and the fact yeah. that you guys are starting to um, work like your occupier mm -hmm. clients are doing. Um, in the flexible way, then that just adds the extra bit to it. Yeah, exactly. It's, as I said, as I said it's, it's, it's landlords, you know, for, for landlords to be successful, they really need to understand how occupiers are behaving so they can create the product and they can create the service that, that the occupiers are expecting. And that will lead on to success in terms of leasing the space up more quickly, um, having the right kind of balance of occupiers in their building and ultimately financially rewarding, which is obviously what landlords are looking for. You mentioned the regions earlier. Mm -hmm. um, you touched on that, and I want to. I'm just curious because obviously we're in London now, and yeah. London always gets in the news. Mm -hmm. um, but those big six, what what's different in those markets than than a city like London? Um, I think it's not just that they're different. Um, I think that as you, as you say, a lot of the activity we're seeing in terms of kind of space as a service has taken place in London. When you read anything in in, in 
reports or in the media, it's all about what's going on in London because that's where, you know, London dominates. You can't get away from that. Um, but I think what's really interesting about the regions is that actually they're starting to, they're starting to evolve and they're starting to change. So if you looked, say, three years ago about, you know, the makeup of, of the sector in those regional markets, it's probably very traditional in terms of, you know, more ser traditional serviced offices versus co-working and, and, and obviously hybrids. Um, and the market hadn't really started to grow at all. So I think over the last probably two years, we've started to see a lot more activity coming into those markets. You start to see new entrants going in, um, not just the London operators, but we have started to see that over the last few years, some of the London um, landlords moving into the regional markets. Obviously, not every regional city is going to be financially viable for some of those operators. But we're also starting to see new, new um, uh, entities setting up in those regional markets as well. So New flex operators. New flex in those, operators. Okay, that aren't in London. That but aren't in okay. London, but they've gone into, into the regional markets. Either they've set up in a regional market, they're a local company. Or we've seen some overseas companies coming in, kind of almost like bypassing central and perhaps because it's too competitive. Um, well, there's no space and it's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And so they can go into the regional markets. So if you, you know, you look at what's been going on in terms of, I can bore you now with some statistics. Please do. Um, no, no. So, you know, the, so last, last year there's about three quarters of a million square feet um, let in the big six. It doesn't sound a huge amount when you look at central London, which is two and a half million. Wow. Um, but if you backtrack three years, you probably are talking about a couple of hundred thousand square feet. So massive it's change. a massive change, massive increase. Um, you're starting to see a lot um, larger centers opening up in those regional markets. Um, the biggest transaction last year, I think, was spaces in Deansgate in Manchester, 125,000-ish square feet. Wow. Um, so the market is changing. The market is evolving. It is, it's maturing in those regional markets. So I think it actually cannot, you know, provides kind of great opportunities. Um, and... If you think about some of those regional markets, you know, somewhere like a Manchester or a Birmingham, um, they're seeing significant growth um, generally in terms of employment. The, the structure of employment is changing. They've got um, seen strong growth in things like self-employment, which, of course, is a, a core um, uh, source of demand for, for spaces and service operators. So, you know, the whole make, shift and makeup of those regional cities is, is changing and that is really kind of attractive. You know, they're creating the, the kind of right environment for flex operators to, to kind of grow and flourish, really. Well, you said earlier it's, it's more than about WeWork. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's clear that not just in London, it's, more, it's all over the UK. It's, yeah, yeah. it's so many different operators coming in, mm -hmm. new um, brands mm -hmm. and, um, and the established brands going into these markets. But I think, um, you know, you hit the nail on the head and the economy's changing. Economy, the, the, the way that the economy works today with more entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. uh, more fast growing companies um, versus these, you know, biggest apps companies, um, companies like Monzo that, you know, can grow 400% in 12 months. Yeah, yeah. Um, that flexibility is required. And then you've got, like you said, the self-employed and, you know, they, they can't sign long-term leases. No. Um, do, do you envision, um, uh, is it, is it going to be a problem for landlords that, um, when the overall office stock is 30% or maybe 50% flex, I'll say spaces of service, flex, co-working, whatever you want to call it. When is that, is that going to be a problem for landlords because of the flexibility? See, I think that we'll stop at some point, we'll stop saying flex is a proportion of the market because I think the market will just move to a much more flexible offer generally. You're saying the market will be flex? The, more flexible, is okay. what I'm saying. So, okay. 
and, and the space of the service will be one way that you can curate flexibility. The traditional land space from a landlord will be another. Um, and we'll, we're just moving into a much more flexible way of delivering and occupying space. Um, you know, you think about lease lengths have come down. When was the last time anyone signed a 25-year lease? Don't know, can't remember. Um, you know, so you see a 10 to 15-year lease. But in terms of a lot of, say, some of the space of the service, they're offering longer term because they're targeting those bigger corporates, the entrepreneur, sure, um, sure. enterprise uh, clients as well. So they're moving into kind of three to five-year terms. So there's a blurring of lines between the um, operators and the landlords. So I think over time we'll stop talking about the proportion because it won't really matter anymore because it's just the way that we curate space. I love that. I think I think if you're listening right now, that's probably a tweetable moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because um, it's interesting because the the valuation of buildings is mm-hmm. driven by lease lease lengths yeah. and covenants and everything. Yeah. And um, but and I think there's a lot of people scared that you know if lease links come down, then how's that going to affect the valuation of the building? But often lease links might come down, but that flexibility obviously comes with more risk. Yeah. But then that justifies a higher rate, and yeah. so really one could argue that the rate's going to go up. So really, valuation should it really change? Maybe it should go up. Um, so that's to be determined, I think. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think you know there's the whole. I think the RSS are grappling with it. They just put their paper about how you value um, flexibility. Um, so I think once we get our heads around that and actually what it means, um, then as you say, the impact on value might not be as, as negative as perhaps people think at the moment. We, we have we have an episode this this season uh, discussing valuations. We dive a little bit into that, so um, that that sh- it is going to be interesting over the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to move into our quick fire round. Okay. Um, those who've listened know how this goes. Um, we're I'm just going to ask a, just some quick questions. Top of your head, what do you think? Um, uh, first first thing I want to ask is who who inspires you professionally. That's a really difficult one. Um, there are lots of, lots of high-profile names who I would, yes, think they you know inspire, they they drive the industry forward. But for me personally, um, I think it's always been people who have been a bit closer to me in the working environment who have inspired me to grow um, my, in my own kind of career, in my own development. Um, it's not really giving you the answer you wanted, um, but you know, uh, for example. Um, in my very first job, when I first started doing property research, very male-dominated environment, my first boss was female. She wasn't that much older than I was. Um, and I was really inspired by how she, A, had progressed, in my view at the time, had progressed her career in a very short period of time, um, was holding her own in that very male-dominated en- environment. And I remember turning around to one of my friends going, I want to be that person in five years' time kind of thing. And I think that's And, and you did it. Well, not in five years, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that kind of thing. So people who at a certain point in my career have inspired me to kind of jump that next step or grow up, kind of progress and um, encourage me in that way um, rather than an individual around the sector as a whole. That's a great answer. Thank you. Fantastic answer. Um, okay. So you do a lot of research, obviously. Yeah. It's part of your remit. I do. Um, how do you stay on the cutting edge of the industry? A lot of reading, as you can imagine, um, and talking to people like yourself, your good self. Um, and you're not even wearing glasses. No, oh, they're in my bag. Don't <laughs> oh, okay, <worry>. okay. <laughs> um, and it's about, you know, it's more about, you know, I think, from property research or looking at the, the sector. I think it's it's also understand those external factors that have an influence on on not just how we occupy space, but how we behave, how we. Um, 
the how we work. So it's about understanding a much wider range of things. So they'll you know reading around the uh, obviously industry magazines, industry podcasts, that kind of thing. And just I say a lot of it is just learning from what you're picking up from other people in in, in kind of meetings and coming across uh, people. I mean, in my role, I come across a lot of lots of presentations, lots of meetings with clients, kind of the fleeting touch points. Um, but that way you're getting a whole wide range of, of opinions and experiences, which kind of help to kind of formulate your own, my own opinion. Fantastic. That's it's the same. It's, you know, I appreciated listening to you talk at the uh, co-working London conference last year, mm-hmm. just to, to, to mm-hmm. receive your insights that mm-hmm. way. Um, okay. On that note, you, you mentioned podcasts. Yeah. Um, what podcast do you listen to? Well, for, from a working perspective, I've probably listened to the EG um, property she kind of things. But actually when I'm walking from Walsley station to the office, I tend to listen to things that are not work related. Um, so my kind of, I suppose my favorite one I've been listening to is uh, beast of man, beast of man, beast of man, okay. which is all about saving the, the white rhinos, um, ah, okay. which is headed up by, um, Kevin Peterson, the cricketer. So he's a passionate, uh, um, obviously passionate cricketer, but he's also very passionate about, about the white rhino and he lives in South Africa. Um, and he is, uh, really supportive of the, um, conservation, I suppose, of, of, of the, of the rhino. So it's a whole podcast about, um, his, uh, his experience, his passion, but it's also getting it from the perspective of, of, from the poachers perspective, sure. other people who, oh, um, the kind of rangers, etc., Um, and it's quite heartbreaking at, at points as well. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a problem for sure. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm assuming you were passionate from that and listening to that comes from you have, have you gone to South Africa and seen the yeah. white rhinos? Yeah. Yeah. I've been to South Africa, um, been to, uh, Tanzania on safari. Um, so yeah, I just, my, actually my favorite animal actually is an elephant, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that one on the next yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. with you. Um, one final question and, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I, people know that I love the travel and one of mm-hmm. the things that I love about living in, in London is that I can mm-hmm. just pop over to the, the continent. Mm-hmm. Presumably anytime I want to, unless the rules change soon. Yeah, fingers, fingers crossed. Um, so we've got to the end of the year and we're okay. Yeah. So, um, but just curious, what's your favorite um, holiday destination? Um, well, I've just come back from skiing. Um, so I've managed to do it, fit two skiing holidays in, two. in, in January, two in January. Two in January so it wasn't too dry for you then. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. Now I'm going for dry February. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, so I think kind of, and so yes, yeah, so mountainous holidays seems to be, um, the kind of fresh air, the open spaces. So not just skiing, um, walking. So I've done walking the Dolomites, Pyrenees, uh, we're going to the Julian, Mount- Julian mountains in uh, Slovenia in, in awesome. the summer. Awesome. So have you gone to Andorra? I haven't done Andorra. No, okay. no, it's but, really nice. um, but yeah, so I think yeah. American nice, <laughs> I think, yeah, mountains, um, seems to be the, uh, the kind of common link between my winter and, and, and summer holidays. So your two trips in January, where did you go? Uh, first I went to Chamonix in France and last week I was in Solden in Austria. And now you're in rainy London. Now I'm in rainy, grey London. <laughs> but to be fair, this morning it was sun shining and beautiful. So yeah, yeah, no, it was. Uh, we had a. We were being very lucky with the weather in, in our two ski trips, um, and it was a little bit sad coming home. I have to confess. But I went to Switzerland last year way too early. Um, I think it was in end of September, first of October, and it was rainy and foggy. Uh, gorgeous, beautiful, but still rainy and foggy. No snow. Oh, that's a shame. You have to go again. I will definitely do that. <laughs> So Elaine, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate you sharing your insights with us. Um, I, you're on Twitter, right? Where can people find you? Yeah, um, at E.L. Russell, which is R-O-S-S-A-L-L. Excellent. Well, if you have any comments, questions for Elaine, 
find her on Twitter or obviously look her up on LinkedIn. Thank you all for joining the podcast today. And um, until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you caught the value bombs that were dropped by Elaine in this episode. Flexible working is about empowerment and productivity, about changing the way people work to create a better working environment for everyone. And occupiers are looking for landlords to provide flex and amenity space within their assets. So it's important for landlords to understand which operator brands are out there. And landlords who do not have large portfolios should look to partner with these operators instead of launching their own flex-based brand. There's going to be a blurring of lines between operators and landlords in the future. And for landlords to be successful, they need to understand how occupiers are behaving. Elaine thinks over time, and I agree, that we'll start talking about flex being a proportion of the overall office market because the overall office market will be flexible. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode and every episode you listen to. And if you do, I'd love for you to share it with that one person who you think needs to hear this message. You can always find our podcast on our website at workbold.co and click on podcast or any podcast app that you use, just search hashtag workbold. It'd mean a lot to me if you leave a five-star review and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Finally, please do connect with me on social media. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker on Twitter and Instagram or just search LinkedIn. Send me your questions, what you want to hear next, comment on my accent or challenge what we've talked about. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, fortune favors the bold. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at podcastsyndicator.com or Brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.